And lifting really fucking heavy is so empowering, especially for people who are hard charging people who like to see numbers and like to see progression. Like this Mm -hmm. is the thing for you. And with that, like you can do this forever and ever. And really you should hormonally through, you know, bone density, every, there's so many benefits to resistance training. Welcome back to another episode of Oh High Self, where we get to nerd out on all things personal development and lifestyle design. I'm your host, Sandra Possing, and in case you haven't noticed yet, I'm on a little bit of a relentless mission to help you create an extraordinary life that you love, whether you like to or not. So that's just what's happening. Today is a very special day. I'm thrilled to be actually bringing you our very first guest over here at Ohio Self, my incredibly badass friend and fellow coach of cool humans, Brianna Lamb. Bri, welcome so much. Yeah, thank you so much. This is so <laughs> exciting to be your first guest. I'm truly honored. The honor is all yours. Um, Bri, just bear with me for a moment while I brag about you. So back in the day, Brie was a former D1 athlete and regional CrossFit athlete, which we'll definitely talk more about. Currently, she's the coaching manager and head coach of functional bodybuilding, which will also explain more what that is. And something that I really love about her perspective on her work is that she thinks of herself more as like a project manager of your health because she coaches her clients toward physical and mental health. And then especially this part I love is that she helps them reframe their obsession with looking the way society wants them to, and instead living in the body and mind that they want to live in, which I think is so huge. A little bit about how I know Brie. We are, I would say it's safe to say we're both fitness freaks, like in the best possible way. And we also met through mutual fitness freak friends, if there is such a thing. (laughs) But we also have like an alter ego that loves EDM shows and festivals. So I think I haven't done the math, but we've probably had more hangouts at EDM shows than we have at gyms, but we've definitely done both numerous times. And I would say every single time has had EDM, at least in the background. Definitely. (laughs) There's been dancing either on purpose or involuntarily. And another thing for you listeners, what I really admire about Bree's thought leadership, which I think you'll see very quickly if you go stalk her on Instagram, which you you should also do immediately, is that she delivers so much value, um, but in like my favorite way, which is in a vulnerable and very real way. I have so many, you know, mentors and teachers I look up to that I really love. And one thing I've noticed that I don't love with people who are delivering value in some way is this kind of like know-it-all-y, this is just the way things are kind of vibe. And what I love about your vibe, Brie, is that it's just, you keep it so real. You would do, you do what I would call like an elegant style of vulnerability and just, it makes it so relatable. Like you show the hard work you put in at the gym and career-wise, but you also show the balance and like the fun and the play. And you very generously share your challenges and your struggles and how you're navigating them. So you're sharing your takeaways and giving examples for people how they can move through similar things, which is really, really bad. So thanks for being that person for so many of us. Handing you the microphone. Growing up, give us the basics. Like just set the stage for us. I like to zoom out, get the big picture. Like where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid? Okay. Well, I grew up in Marin County, so just north of San Francisco. And I was so fortunate where I grew up. Marin County is one of the most beautiful places in the world. There's every type of landscape you could ever want and a very affluent area. So I definitely had more opportunities than so many people growing up. And so I'm definitely fortunate with that. And I grew up with a father who was a former or how do I say this? He's like a Hall of Fame college football player. So he was like the guy in sports. He played, I think, more than one sport as a Division One athlete in college, then went on to race cars, race sailboats, like could not scratch the itch of being an athlete and also struggled with his identity crisis post-athleticism. And so my dad was totally my role model. So my greatest memories are going in the car, listening to funk music to practice and we're singing along and he was my coach a bunch of times. And then on the other side is my mom and she's more like right side of the brain, very creative, very, she's an interior designer. And my mom was the mom that was the cool mom. Like if you wanted to get, have some drinks like in mean girls, like she'd be the one like, okay, just drink here. Or like if I kissed a boy or a girl, she'd be like, Oh, you can tell me, you can tell me. And she never ever held any judgment towards me. And that is where I get a lot of my vulnerability and my 
ability to share authentically about what's really going on and comfort in talking about emotions. So I have this super jock like side of me. And then I also have this super nurturing, loving, soft maternal side of me, which I love both of those things. So growing up, my I have a sister who's five years younger than me. And she's more like my mom. She's the singer. She's the artist. She's very emotional. And I kind of leaned more into hanging with my dad. So my entire childhood was like sports, 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 practice, practice, elite team, this elite team, that. So going into high school, I played three sports, volleyball, basketball, and swimming. And basketball and swimming were my greatest sports. And basketball was my biggest love. Junior year, I teared my tore my meniscus and I like literally couldn't run 400 meters. So this was devastating. I also fucking hated my coach. Like I went to go play on this national traveling team and I came back after summer and he was like, I'm never going to start you on this team because you didn't play with our summer team. So I was a little bit jaded to begin with. So when my knees combusted, my dad took me two miles down the road to the Marin rowing boat house, started rowing that day, got a D1 scholarship to University of San Diego after only like a year and a quarter of rowing, rowed all four years um, in the varsity boat. There's varsity boat, junior varsity boat, and then there's two fours. And the varsity boats are eights with a coxswain. And my college coach and I were so close because I was so invested in the training that we were doing and the types of like training splits we were doing that she was like, you can't be a captain because you're already in my ear too much. So her and I were really close and we ended up making it to the NCAA national tournament for the first time in USD history ever. And with that, I don't think they're ever going to go again. Like we truly created something so special in those four years. And if you know anything about rowing or if you've ever done it before, it's so hard, right? Just like mentally, physically. So after rowing was done, I literally took a single rest day and started competing in CrossFit. (laughs) So I had found CrossFit my junior year of college and my college was actually a CrossFit affiliate. So I would sneak in after two practices two three-hour practices in that day, I would sneak in at 7 p.m. to our varsity weight room and do the CrossFit class because I thought it was so cool. And that's what I was doing during the summers to stay fit. My coach found me doing the CrossFit Open during our spring season, literally jumps on my back as I'm doing the 10 minutes of burpees for whatever. And she's like, you need to choose if you want to be a D1 athlete or a CrossFitter. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to be a CrossFitter when I'm done was a CrossFitter when I was done. And that's when I moved back up to the Bay Area from San Diego and found TJ's gym, which is where I had been doing CrossFit. Hired my first coach, started competing. Side note, I was an accounting major and I like was working for an accounting firm. Like I was definitely a personality hire. Totally okay with that. But as soon as I quit, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Like, so I started working for Lululemon, which was really cool. Then I transferred to Hawaii was still working for Lululemon. So my days kind of looked like wake up at 6am, do my first aerobic session from like seven to eight, have breakfast, then go do something else like house chores or whatever, maybe coaching people remotely, do our team training from like nine to 12 for three hours, maybe shower, maybe not, then head to Lululemon and work a full eight hour shift and do that whole thing again. I was the most pale I'd ever been when I was living in Hawaii because I never saw the sun. I was either competing or working. After that CrossFit year, that was the year I made it as an individual, which was like a huge accolade, like one of my most proud moments. Moved back to the Bay Area and my boss now, his name's Marcus, he was one of my coaches when I was competing in CrossFit. And he had broken off from our CrossFit gym and had a non-compete. So around the same time, he said, Hey, Brie, like my non-compete is up in a couple months. I want you to move back. I want you to coach for me. I'll teach you to be the best coach that you could ever be. Like, just trust me, move back. I said, no problem. I packed my bags, went to regionals, competed in regionals, moved back home and started working for functional bodybuilding. And that's kind of how I got my start into coaching the volume of clients that I coach now. I was still doing individual design, which is essentially the term we use for like a customized program, customized nutrition, customized lifestyle, and then kind of like that project manager approach. But I was so honored that he kind of like reached out to me and asked that I couldn't pass it up. And now I've been there for almost six years now. For people who don't know, and we can talk more about 
functional bodybuilding in general too, but explain a little bit about who Marcus is because he's definitely like a, a legend and celebrity in certain fitness circles. But for anybody who's not in those circles, how like what's kind of his deal? Marcus, I call people who adore Marcus, which there's a lot of them, Philly fans. And there's a lot of Philly fans out there. His name is Marcus Philly on Instagram. Definitely worth the follow or just to go kind of stalk him a little bit. He's kind of like this Greek god looking guy, but super introverted, but like has like a little bit of silliness to him. And him and I were really good friends when we were competing in CrossFit. So when he broke off to do his own thing, it was under the umbrella of OPEX, which is again, this kind of coaching licensing body that educates coaches to do this lifestyle nutrition training coaching. And Marcus created what what was Revival Strength, which was an on-site training facility. But when the pandemic hit, 90% of our business was already remote. So like those handful of clients just went remote. Most gyms, most fitness programs did not have that set up at all. So you guys were way ahead of the game. Yeah, fortunately so. And that's why I created, I, we'll probably get into this later, but I created a mentorship program for coaches because every single personal trainer across the world was like, what the hell do I do now? Like I've been doing everything in person. So I mentored over 30 coaches to transition their business from only in person to fully remote and saw a ton of success and actually gave people a lot more of their time back, which was great. And functional bodybuilding as a method, as a training method is the blend of the things that we love from bodybuilding and the things that we love from CrossFit. So you could do snatches and a bicep curl in the same workout and have it totally flow and be effective. So what I love about what we do is like, say you love doing power cleans, but your real true goal is like to build a butt. Okay, so we'll give you some power cleans and use that as your primer for your hip thrusts, for your Romanian deadlifts. And then say you also want to have like really defined calves. Okay, well, let's just do a burnout set at the end with some calves. So I take what my clients love and then what they need and play this fun Tetris game to create a program that represents everything that's important to you and the most expedited way to get to your goals. Our company is divide, divided into two parts. One is the one-to-one coaching, which I've been talking a lot about because I manage all those coaches. And then the other side is the group program that Marcus writes, which is kind of like our keystone functional bodybuilding plan. And there's four tracks to that. And I oversee kind of that stuff too. But yeah, functional bodybuilding is cool, man. Like it's It basically takes the things that you love from everything and you're like, oh, I can have my cake and eat it too, which of course we all love. And I love that there's a focus on the, like the physique element. I almost feel like, you know, back in the day, exercise was all about looking a certain way. And then hopefully now, at least in the modern world, we've gotten much more about like performance and just being healthy and health span and, and, you know, being functional in our lives and being able to run around and do things, not just like do a million bicep curls and look a certain way, but it's also just acknowledging the fact that like, we want to look good. Like we want to look good. We want to feel good. We want to look good naked. We want to look good in clothes. And so it brings in that kind of very human aspect, but also combines it with a lot of the other functional and longer term and performance. At least that's my understanding. I'm like still kind of like, I mean, we are biologically hardwired to want to be desirable. So if a client or a potential client comes to me and they're like, I don't care how I look. I just want to like live long and prosper. I'm like, you're a liar. We're probably not going to work together. Like you want to look good naked. Obviously you can have other goals that are more important, but like there's some base level of of vanity, which I'm totally on board with. Like I absolutely don't want to think twice when I have to put a bathing suit on or when I want to rip my shirt off at the gym. Like those things feel important to me. And not all of my clients does that feel important to, but there's some level of it. And I just like talking about it. It's nice to be able to acknowledge it and not have to like hide it and pretend like we don't care when we actually do it. I'm very open about the fact that I, I love fitness for so many other reasons too, but I, I jokingly say like really my biggest goal at any time always is just to get a bigger butt. So I'm always like, if I post videos, it's probably of me doing butt stuff. <laughs> you know, and It's like that the one kind, not the other kind that you're thinking about you dirty people if we kind of take your, from all of childhood and like your elite athlete days and college and, and Hawaii and competing and all of that, like your, it's safe to say that was most of, if maybe not all of like your identity and what was your identity like those days and and what parts of it were a struggle, if any? Every single thing that I did had a purpose for competition. The number of hours I slept, the conversations I was having or not having, the foods I was eating, the 
schedule I had, the job I chose, everything was so that I could win and get a podium finish. There was nothing, the, even the partner I chose was so that I could be better at CrossFit. Like that is how my brain worked for my entire life until basically 2017. And so in 2017, I moved back from Hawaii. I'm working for Marcus. I'm like, this is awesome. Marcus, you're going to coach me also. And he's like, no, too many hats. I'm your friend, training partner, you know, manager. And now your coach, no, 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 too much. So you're going to hire Mike Lee, who is the general manager of OPEX, that licensing body. I hired him and he was like, what are your biggest goals in life? And I'm like, I want to be a mom. And he's like, oh, okay. So talk to me a little bit about your energy levels and kind of prodding me for hormone symptoms. And I was like, yeah, I'm wake up in the middle of the night at 2am every night, my hair is falling out. I'm getting you know, I can't lose body fat and all these symptoms. And he's like, well, I think we should do a Dutch test, which is like the most commonly prescribed hormone testing panel, which is a urine sample, which is very different than blood sampling. And it came back that my cortisol was just flatlined. Like I wasn't able to like get up and go. I didn't even think that it was a problem that I was taking so much pre-workout or that my sleep was so dysregulated. So I get my Dutch test results back. Every single hormone is flatlined. I have a little glimmer of testosterone, progesterone, estrogen are just flatlined. Did you have any concept of that that was going on or that that would have been a problem or any of that until you got the it's test? It's kind of like when you're doing a hundred burpees and you tell your body, like your body's like, this isn't good. Like we should probably stop. And you're like, no, 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 you be quiet. That's how I felt about injuries. That's how I felt about energy levels. Like, no, 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 you be quiet. We have a goal to to achieve. And that was actually the greatest gift in my entire life so far was Mike Lee sitting me down and saying, if you want to be a mom one day, like this is not the way to do it. So let's really take a step back and look at what your true goals are. So at that point I was right in the middle of qualifiers for this huge competition quit that day. And I never competed at a high level in CrossFit ever again. I did some fun competitions here and there after just to kind of stimulate that identity again. But it was a very dark time for me. I gained 30 pounds. I started trying to boost my hormones naturally because I didn't want to go through hormone replacement therapy at 24 years old. So I had basically went through, um, I was in menopause because I had like no hormones. Then I went basically, I was Benjamin Button style, went back into puberty. So I had raging adult acne. I was gaining weight. I was eating sugar. I was like staying up late, like being just like this 13 year old kid who like could not be tamed because I wasn't competing anymore. So I didn't know what the, what the fuck to do. And then second of all, my body was like re-regulating in, in, on this roller coaster. So it truly wasn't until early last year that I finally got a hold of my hormones and my body again. How long did that take total then? How many years? Three, uh, four and a half years. And you think about, I was competing at age five all the way up until age 25. So four years for 25 years of beating my body, well, 20 years of beating my body to shit, that's like not too bad, you know? So that was where I really struggled. I was also got myself into a super toxic relationship because I wasn't sure of who I was and my value and what was important to me and how to show up for people. And that was a very dark time as well. So after that relationship, I moved back to, to San Diego. I'm in San Diego now. And now... I just picked up my third rec sport and I've been playing sports like an absolute mad woman. And it makes me feel like myself again. So everything is full circle and I'm playing basketball, which was like the last sport to be like, Oh my God, like this is my identity again. So things are coming back full circle now and it, and it feels good. It was like in the beginning you had the elite athlete identity and, but it was everything, but it was everything to a fault where you were destroying your body and there was an, all these other unintended consequences, but you didn't care because your one goal was compete, 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 win. And then you have the wake up call around hormones and lost that identity. But now you're finding your, your way back to being a health or like to be an athlete, but an elite athlete in a healthy way, in a balanced way where you have your priorities. The biggest downfall and the biggest area of opportunity I see in our society is that kids and young adults have no education on how to just care and nurture their bodies, right? Like we're still pushing the food pyramid and we're still saying that cardio is how we lose body fat. Like 
There's so much confusion, and especially as the younger generations now have social media and so much exposure to this fitness influencer saying this and that and this, and there's no research behind what these influencers are saying for 99% of them. So it's really scary. And, you know, as somebody who wants to be a mom one day, I think about how my kids might perceive fitness and health and how I might teach my kids how to learn how to care for their bodies. Five years ago, I would have said something totally different than what I say now. And I would say that, you know, in high schools and even middle schools, like that is the most important time to teach our kids, like the difference between a muffin and a sweet potato. I had no concept of the difference between those things. And I'm so grateful now that I'm in this fitness space and coaching other people. The more that these people know about how to care for their body and the better person they can be for everybody else. So that's one of my most important goals with coaching is like the more people I can coach and spread my message of like, this is bullshit. This is not like, let's make it super clear. Then the better place we can all be. And that just feels so important to me. The people who have those visible roles, whether they're CEOs or just the the head parent of a family or community leaders, the more they're doing it for themselves and modeling that behavior for their kids and their communities, then it trickles down and it's so much more helpful. If you were to, because, so because the health industry is so confusing and there's so much, like so much of what we've taught is like actually exactly backwards and all of that, like, and there's so much to, to sift through, but if you were to give people like two or three or four or five, I don't know, like, what are some of the main things that you're just like, I just wish everybody knew that it's this, not this, or like, what are the top things you would ask people to be aware of? This is the best question ever because even the most highly skilled and trained athlete or client that I have, I'm still coming back to this shit every single consult, no matter what. So number one, how are you sleeping? Right? We are like, oh, we should sleep. We should sleep eight hours. Everyone kind of talks about that. But yeah, it's not really about the quantity of hours. It's really more about how early you can get to bed. So we are, I'm not going to get actually into that. We can get into it later, but the more hours you sleep before 12 a.m., the better opportunity you set your body up for deep sleep. And deep restorative sleep is actually the time when our hormones are repaired. We do a lot of our deep digestive processes. It's actually when we reset our hormones for energy regulation. So, so much can happen before 12 a.m. if we actually just get the fuck to sleep. You're getting like eight to nine hours, but it's later. It's still the getting it before. Yeah, Midnight, like it's still good, right? Any type yeah. of sleep is good. It's like recharging your phone. But the more you could, like, I would say if anyone can shoot to have their like brain turning off by 9 p.m. And that means like turning off the Netflix, turning off the TikTok, like that would be crucial because then you give yourself about 30 minutes to let your brain fully downregulate. You're maybe sleeping by 9, 30, 10. And that gives you two full hours of possibly getting some deep sleep. And you probably won't get two full hours, but the goal for deep sleep is a quarter of your total sleep. So if you sleep eight Mm. hours, you want four hours, two hours of deep sleep. And that's the best time to get it. I love it. Okay. So sleep number one. Okay. Sleep number one. The second thing is neat. So non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So if you think about our caloric expenditure, and a lot of us want to look good naked. So what really makes up what your body composition looks like is number one, your basal metabolic rate takes up the biggest amount. That's about like 30 to 40% of your total calorie expenditure is just like the more muscle mass you have on your body, the more fuel your body needs to like run and do its thing. If you are on bed rest, that amount of calories bumps up the more muscle mass you have. Second thing is neat. So this non-exercise activity level, you parking your car far away from the door, you taking the stairs instead of the elevator, getting up to go fidgeting, standing, like going for a walk, all of that non-exercise activity is way more impactful on your body composition than your training. Like equally, if not less or more important. It's probably some of the, of the clients that we both work with, like people who are just really busy. They've got families. They're running up to Tahoe on the weekends to go skiing. They're like, go, go, go super busy. They have like high stakes. It's a lot of pressure. And they're like, I'm still committed. I'm going to go work out. But it's like, they work out really hard for that one hour, but the rest of the day they're sedentary, sitting in a car, sitting at a desk. And it's like, if we can just pepper in tiny little, like quick walk around the neighborhood or get up and shake it out, like go grab a glass of water, move around, take the stairs. Those little things really do add up in such an important way. Oh my gosh. And what you touched on too, is that we have 24 hours in the day. 
And as humans, we need a one-to-one work-rest ratio, or at least that's where we thrive in. But if I'm working eight hours a day, that's four hours left in my day that I need to like figure out how to relax. And most of us don't have that. So if we can capitalize on those smaller windows, like, okay, a meeting ended 10 minutes early, get your shoes on, get out the door, go for a little walk. Walking is also the one of two movement practices that you can do in a parasympathetic rest and digest state. So if you have shitty digestion or you're always bloated or you can't lose body fat, if you walk 10 minutes after you eat, that actually will cut your insulin needs in half. So my coach is a type one diabetic and he cut his insulin in half when he walked 10 minutes after each meal because it lessens your ability, but basically helps you digest and produce insulin to break down your food. So an optimal time to walk is actually after a meal. For anyone who's a, um, a productivity or habit kind of nerd like I am, like if you're in a James Clear or <laughs> any of those things, like habit stacking is mm-hmm. such an easy way to trick yourself into better behaviors. And something as simple as every time I have a meal, I go take a quick walk. Or every time after dinner, I take a walk with my friend or my partner. And it's like just building that in. And so it becomes this really easy way to do something that makes such a huge difference. Yeah, it really does. And it is, and like I said, one of two movement practices that we can do in a parasympathetic down regulatory stage. So even if you are struggling with getting steps and struggling with sleep, like if you turn your phone off at 9 p.m. and you just go for a nice 10 minute unplugged easy walk and get into bed, that's another way to help down regulate and better digest as well. So I think we went through three sleep, non exercise activity. We also touched on just like walking in general. I would say the other two big ones are protein. I was just going to ask you about that. Yes. I would actually put that one as number one. Like, oh, again, a lot of us want to look good naked. And a lot of us, to a lot of us, that means having a nice contour to our body, right? The amount of calories you eat, like the energy expenditure, like eating appropriate amount for how much you're expending, that's going to determine the size of your body. But progressive overload and like making sure that you're, you know, increasing your effort each week in your training and keeping a dialed amount of protein, that's going to determine the contour of your body, right? So the cardio bunnies, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm eating salads. Your body's going to get smaller, but you're not going to have the muscle definition, that contour that we want. So eat your freaking protein and lift some heavy weights and you will see muscle definition that you may have never otherwise have seen. What's tough about protein is unlike carbs and fats, the other macronutrients, it does require some level of preparation or planning because a lot of it is perishable, right? So what I like to tell my clients is like, take your body weight, divide it by three. That's how many grams of protein you need at each of your three meals per day. I weigh 160 pounds. I'm going to use 150. It's easier for math. Say you weigh 150 pounds. 50 grams of protein at each meal is freaking hard. It's really hard. So I encourage a lot of my clients to log their food as kind of like an assessment option. Um, you can use chronometer, which is my favorite, or my fitness pal, which is more popular. And log your food for a couple of days. See where you actually get in protein and see if you can challenge yourself to get one gram to one pound of body weight. I've been, I basically have learned this for the first time in my adult. I'm like, I've been in more or less in this world, at least peripherally for decades. And I'm like, how did I not know basically anything about protein? And so I am 150. So I've been using that and I'm like, okay, like 50 grams per thing. And I'm like, so in the mornings I have, usually I put um, the vital proteins collagen, which has protein in it, right. In my coffee. And then I'll maybe have like two boiled eggs and then I'll have a protein shake after a workout. And then for lunch, I'll have whatever, like leftover from dinner the night before, which usually has chicken or something in it. And then we'll always have protein with dinner. So I'm like, I think I maybe am kind of getting close, but it is like now I'm for the first time in my life, I'm every time I go eat something, I'm like, okay, hot, let me, okay, protein first. Like, what can I, you know, like adding like liver paste on my toast so I can get that or whatever. But it's like, how did I not know this? And, and I'm like in this world. So I'm like, so many people who aren't in this world, and I feel for women especially too, right? A lot of us are yes. way below what we should be getting. Yeah. And it is, again, like it's hard to get. Like if I was just talking to a client the other day, she had been traveling for work and she's like, I ordered the steak. 
I ordered the salmon when I was out, but the portion size was like barely the size of my phone. She's like, I knew that it wasn't enough for what I needed, but the amount of potatoes I got was massive. So like, and again, not carbs are not bad. Anyone listening to this carbs are not bad, but it's just, it's shitty because our society is set up in a way that like doesn't help us thrive to have these focuses. And I'm just going to cut it at that one. I think protein is a great one to end on because if you do anything with your nutrition, that's the one. And I'll tell you why. One, when you eat enough protein, your cravings diminish, like absolutely diminish. If you're somebody who struggles with that 3 p.m. kind of like sleepy, snacky feeling, you need more protein in the morning. I used to, like an addict, drive to Trader Joe's at two o'clock and with nobody around, not tell anybody. And I would get one perfect foods bar, eat it while I'm shopping, hand them the wrapper and leave because I was so embarrassed about having this intense ravenous craving for a perfect foods bar, which in my eyes I knew was like a glorified candy bar, but I was like, Oh, it's healthy. And I would like an addict dish, you know, the wrapper. So no one saw it because I was so hungry because I wasn't getting enough protein, but everybody knows that ravenous feeling of like, I could literally eat a piece of paper right now because I'm so hungry. It's because you're not eating enough protein. It's not a matter of willpower. The other piece is that the easiest way to get protein in is not adding in more protein snacks or adding in more protein shakes. It's literally just increasing your portion size at each meal. So, okay, instead of four ounces of steak, have six, have eight. It does look like a lot at first, but do it and your body will totally change, I promise. And then the way that you end up snacking so much less and not reaching for the processed stuff and the sugary stuff, it, yeah, huge. Okay, so that was perfect. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to like mentally note, remind myself of all of those on a regular basis too. When you were, from the time you had kind of your hormone wake-up call um, to the four years or whatever it took to heal from that, what were you doing to, was it these types of things that you were doing to heal or what did you have to do to right the ship after the damage that had been done? Well, hormones are hard, right? Because we can't see them, we can't feel them, and we need a really expensive doctor to help us fix them. So (laughs) it's really tough, you know? And then that's another thing that's gotten really buzzwordy on Instagram and social media because people want to help, but they don't know what they're really saying unless it is a true functional medicine doctor. So luckily, my coach was kind of partnered up with this um, functional medicine doctor in Scottsdale. And I worked with him for a period of time And he put me on some hormone boosting supplements. So things that would help me boost the production of my own. I could have gone the hormone replacement route, but again, I was so young and I like didn't feel like I needed it. And I'm glad that I didn't, but there are a lot of foods that do boost your progesterone that do boost your estrogen. And you just need a little direction there. So what I did was that I also did supplement with a hormone booster called DHEA. The shitty part is that my doctor never told me when to stop taking it. So my acne got worse and worse and worse and worse because I was supposed to only take it for 30 days and I didn't know. So when you, if anyone listening to this hires a functional medicine doctor, make sure you close the loop on your protocols because you could be like, oh, I'm just going to eat these progesterone boosting carrots forever. And then, so that's one thing. Um, The other part is that I took my intensity way down. So my coach had me go into like a pretty significant caloric surplus. So I had hired to add fuel to the fire. I was working with a nutrition coach who had me in a caloric deficit, meaning not enough calories for what I needed because I wanted to look like the CrossFitter. I was struggling to lose weight. I was puffy. I had these big thighs. I was like, no, I want to look lean and shredded like all the other CrossFitters. So I was eating not enough for what I was doing. So that just made my hormones even worse. So he's like, I'm sorry, you're going to gain more body fat we need to get you to eat more food to metabolically adapt you to how much your, your body needs. So that was shitty. And then my training, he took all away all my snatches, all my clean and jerks, all my sprints, all my box jumps and fun, cool stuff. And he's like, you're going to do bodybuilding. And I'm like, well, this really double sucks. So that time again was very hard for me. But at the end of the day, like it was the thing that truly healed me was taking my nervous system down, down, down so that my cortisol, that stress hormone could rebuild itself again. So I could feel snappy again. I could feel awake again. Everybody knows that feeling when you're just got to reach for that second cup of coffee, that third one, you just cannot get up. That's typically a response to your cortisol being dampened from either poor sleep, 
too much stress for too long, or not having enough breaks within your day to downregulate. And like I said, our body's meant to have a one-to-one rest-to-work ratio. And for those of us who work eight, maybe 10 hours a day, then we come home and we got to like feed our kids and do the parent thing, which can be totally stressful, and then bath time. And then you finally get a chance to be by yourself, and all you want to do is scroll through TikTok because that's literally all you can do. So what helped me a lot was actually just befriending walking and befriending silence. Because if I didn't have loud EDM music in my head, I was coaching somebody or I was, so just finding moments of silence and stillness, which I know you talk about a lot too. Just finding those things in my day was really hard for my ADD brain, but it helped a lot. And then now I had, I had a couple coaches along the way. And then I just hired a brand new coach in March of last year. So we're almost on our anniversary And he is a bodybuilding, just like straight up bodybuilding coach. Um, Because I say that I was doing bodybuilding and eating a lot of food, but I was kind of being reckless. Like I wasn't actually doing the full protocol. Like I was still sneaking in some snatches here and there, doing competitions with Zoe and Urban. Like I was totally like not doing it fully, but I was still on plan. And it wasn't truly until this last year where I was like, okay, I'm going to hire you. I'm going to spend a fuck ton of money on this coach because the more you invest, the more you're actually going to do it. My coaches are friends of mine. So I hired this coach and he basically was like, I'm not taking this bullshit. You're going to do what I want you to do and you're going to do it. And I'm going to check on you. And he helped me build back my hormones. And I haven't done like a CrossFit Metcon in about a year and a half because the way that I'm just, I just run a little hotter. And I think probably a lot of people listening to this too, or like that, or could resonate with that just a little bit more anxious or just running a little bit hotter, a lot of to do's. And he's like, well, training is a stressor on the body. It's a self-care practice, but it's a stressor on the body. So we have to treat it like that. So finally, I'm not doing any conditioning. I get all of my aerobic work from walking and I do like a couple sprints and I play a couple sports and that's enough for me. The rest of my training is just bodybuilding. It makes a lot of sense to just logically in terms of balance, like a yin yang kind of perspective where it's like somebody who let's say is like pretty mellow, has a job where they just sit at a computer. They're like low stress. It makes sense for balance in their life and body and nervous system to like get out and push hard and sprint and like do some high intensity things to like create some variety and balance. Whereas somebody who's like, go, 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 go either at work or with kids or in their mind, or they're super high anxiety or they're like chronically stressed. So their nervous system is always in fight or flight and like mostly fried to then go out and do a workout that's super intense where you're just frying it even more. Of course, it's going to have consequences. And so it's like, if we just, even from like stepping away from all the science and the evidence, it's just like, it makes logical sense. Like if you're like super high, strong, stress person, find some workouts that are a little bit more soothing and mindful and create space and quiet and it's like little space on your calendar. And whereas people who are like, they can maybe bump it up a notch too. Your hard charging CEO client to go meditate and do yoga. They're like, you're fired. (laughs) You are fired. So a lot of my clients are this avatar. And so what we really lean into is bodybuilding because there's a lot of rest built in because you're doing your hardest effort each set in the resistance training. And then you rest two to three minutes. Give them what they want by, and you're tricking them into giving them what they also need at the same time. Yeah. And lifting really fucking heavy is so empowering, especially for people who are hard charging people who like to see numbers and like to see progression. Like this Mm -hmm. is the thing for you. And with that, like you can do this forever and ever. And really you should hormonally, through, you know, bone density, every, there's so many benefits to resistance training. And just like the empowerment piece is like, so huge for women too. Like, I think we've for for too many decades been conditioned to, we're supposed to be like weak, pretty little things and all the other nonsense. Whereas actually getting in and lifting heavy things is one of the most satisfying and empowering things that you can do. And the, just the mindset part of it, the emotional part of it, the, like I can do hard things and watching yourself progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the unsung hero. Yeah. So for anybody, just one final note on the hormone thing, because I think it's something that I know I was like basically clueless about 
um, until recently, just even just like starting to follow my menstrual cycle to track that a couple of years ago, I was like, what the, how did I, okay, who, who was not teaching us this in school and parents? And what? I'm like, I didn't even know I had four phases of a cycle. And I started using the MyFlow app, which I highly recommend to anybody. Yeah. And so just, there's so many basic things that I think most of us don't know, but for somebody who wants to kind of like learn the basics or maybe get a little bit more informed on hormones in general, maybe fit, like, do I have a hormone imbalance? Like what would I even look for? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really tough question because again, it's like social media. There's so much out there that's so, so confusing. And I'll be a hundred percent transparent with you. I've been looking for a functional medicine doctor to partner with, with my practice. And I haven't found one that I trust yet. It's been like a seven month search. And I just, there's always something a little off that I'm like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work. Or no, that seems a little bit off for me. So the best thing you can do is really get your own hormones tested. That is the best way that at least I learn is by going through the process myself. So Dutch test is the test that I mentioned previously. That's the most comprehensive hormone test you can do. You can buy it yourself online, but to get your results interpreted, you have to have a functional medicine doctor to like really tell you what's going on or a super high level coach who specializes in this. If somebody wants to have me set them up, I have two people that I would refer to. Um, one only works with primarily women. Her name's Sarah Bridgman. She's actually a client of mine and I'm a client of hers. That's kind of cool. And then I have another client who only specifically works with men. And it's actually, it may seem like a red flag when people niche down, but any coach or any healthcare professional, if they seem niched down, that's a very green flag for all you people listening, because it means they're specializing and focusing their education into one place versus trying to help everybody. So and it couldn't really answer your question, but if somebody does really want to investigate their hormones, I would really just like go through the process themselves, you know, invest and save a little bit of money to do this because it is an expensive process. But if you are having symptoms like hair loss, bloating, acne, um, you know, even like uh, digestive distress, like acid reflux, or your sleep is really messed up, you always wake up two, three in the morning, you can't go back to sleep. Any of those symptoms that are nagging and chronic those are probably things just to like talk to somebody about just to see if it is something to be worried about or not. And just getting the process started, maybe it takes a few tries to find somebody who's the right fit. But I think there's so much room for most of us to take responsibility for our health and advocate for ourselves and be willing to experiment and just, you know, talk to people, get recommendations and keep going until you find something that's going to help. So the one more piece on that, like your hormones are very especially for women, they're very sensitive. So if you do start actioning like the sleep thing we talked about and the protein thing we talked about and the lifting heavy thing, I will guess that in four to six months, your body and hormones will change. Hormones do take a long time to change for the better, but they're very easily fucked. So if you start doing those things, I promise you, you'll save a lot of money. So I'd actually just have them start doing that and then reach out to me and talk to me about like, some of the things that they're experiencing. Let's all, whoever's listening, let's all agree to work on those things. The sleep thing, the, all of those. Um, at nine o'clock tonight, okay? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to text you and see if you're in bed. Okay, so we've covered like backstory and the elite athlete days, the impact of that, how you healed from it, and some of the very important takeaways about healing from that and just kind of your approach to health and fitness and training and all of that now. So if we move into like in 2023. Mm. Your identity now is like coming back to the athlete, but you're doing it in a very different way. Like tell us more about like who who is the who's the new you? Who are you now? And what are the most important things going on in your world? You can call me bad girl Bree Bree. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> am stepping into this new chapter of my life where I am seeking the unapologetic, most authentic version of me. And I know that sounds so corny and said before, but I have been a people pleaser my entire life, just absolutely paralyzed by any, any and everybody's opinion of me. And that was how I categorized my worth. And fitness had a whole lot of a huge role in that too. Like if I won a competition, I was good. I was safe. I was happy. I was worthy. And you get a lot of praise. 
and I get a lot of praise like, Oh, people like me because I did this cool thing and they, and I'm accepted. So when that was taken away, I was like, well, I don't even know if I like myself. I don't, what is my favorite color? I have no fucking clue. So this entire last kind of year and a half has been about investigating who I am when no one's around and leaning into that and kind of like being a little bit more weird. I've always had a coach. I've always been following something regimented, but I have this like little like 13 year old gremlin girl who like wants to like be a feral rat on the weekends. And I've always felt really ashamed of wanting to be this like extroverted, loud, fun party girl, but also this like super independent and strong and calculated and analytical and smart person. I could never find the balance between this duality in my life. So this whole year is about living in the balance of both of those and honoring and accepting both. And I think a lot of us who are probably listening to this can resonate with having some level of duality in their life. You know, when you go all in on something, there's always like a little... I don't know, like you have to have a release valve. And so for me, that's being extroverted and going to festivals and maybe staying out too late and having an extra drink or two too much or things like that. And I always really struggled with that. That kind of felt opposite to what I was preaching in my work. But now I'm starting to realize, and to your point at the very beginning, is it's okay to have both and be both and so my my coach actually is going to this concert that I was just telling you about in two weekends, he will be there. So like I have somebody who supports me, who knows me, who gets me and understands why I love the things that I love. And I fully, fully respect my coach for that. And every time I go to a festival, I used to feel so bad about myself. I would have like two weeks of this like purgatory where I was like, like you did that thing. Like you deserve to feel tired. You deserve like, And then I was like, what the fuck is going on? Why am I talking to myself like that? And then I told my coach about that. And he's like, no, it's cool. Like, just get back on the next day. And while I say this to thousands of people over the last eight years, I had to hear it myself. And so now, every time I get back from a festival or a big trip or whatever, I Instacart my food ahead of time. (laughs) I book my training time with the gym that you don't even have to do. And I always set myself up for success with habit stacking and making sure that all the things that I need to do to be successful are already done ahead of time. This brings up so many, like 10 different points in my head. I'm going to try to only choose a few because it's so relevant to, I think so many of us, but especially people who'd be listening to this, almost all of my clients, me, like the, the perfectionist and the people pleasing and the ways where like, there's, there's a lot of overlap between some of these things. And one thing that I think is very common is this all or nothing kind of mentality. Like, oh, if I'm going to be a healthy person, I have to be healthy all the time. And if I fail once, then I've failed and I'm, I am a failure and we shame ourselves. And it's like, no, like, A, that's completely unrealistic. And, and B, if we were actually living whatever even the fuck perfect is, because that's a whole made up thing. And every single person is going to have a different idea of what it is anyway. So it's like, why even bother? And that would be boring if we were all perfect. Oh my God. Like, thank God we're not. Thank God we're imperfect. Thank God we're like, interesting and different and that we fail so we can learn Mm. hashtag growth mindset. Like there's so much joy to be had in the failing and the learning and the adjusting and tweaking and up-leveling and like figuring out how to kind of course correct to get better whilst also giving ourselves permission to, you know, actually enjoy life. Like I kind of love the 80, 20 rule for most things. Like 80% of the time I eat really healthy ish and 20% of the time I do whatever the fuck I want. And I am not going to apologize for it. My nieces uh, or my niece was selling Girl Scout cookies. She's down in Santa Barbara, but I ordered them online. Two boxes came to the house, fully ate both two boxes, basically by myself over like a week and a half. Chris was like, wow. Okay. And I was like, yep. And I was like, didn't feel guilty for a second. I just enjoyed like every last bite. And I was like, cause this is part of my 20%. Yeah. Same thing with you know, being really responsible with work, but then also messing around on weekends and doing what, and you know, it's like just giving ourselves permission to be human and have fun. Cause otherwise what's the point? Like we're working so hard to prove ourselves so that we can be approved of by other people and fit into some box. And then we don't even enjoy it. Like, no. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised it was over a week and a half. Like I just ate a whole entire box of macarons, like those little like bite-sized ones of Trader Joe's. In one, in one night, I'll smoke a little bit of weed and those are no, they are gone. No chance. 
like we've been so conditioned, especially around like for women with our relationships to exercise and food, there's such strong messaging where we're taught to feel guilty, you know, and then there's the whole messed up messaging around like, oh, well, if you eat this and you got to, you know, go to the gym to burn it off, or you got to earn this and you got to punish yourself. And like the whole thing is so backwards where I'm like, what if like, so most people know that I have a huge sweet, like, yes, we mostly pretty healthy, but I also have a huge sweet tooth and I love treats and I'm very unapologetic about it. And I'm like, I will sit down on the, like once in a blue moon where I have something like a donut, you know, I will sit down and it's like, whereas the the messaging and the tendency for us, especially women in the society might be like, eat it, eat it fast, feel guilty halfway through and then shame yourself for like two days afterwards. I'll yeah. sit down and I'll like cut it with a fork and knife as if it's like, a $30 steak or something yeah. and I'll smell it and I'll like hold it up to the light and admire the glaze, oh. like the sunlight hitting. And then I'll just like basically hold it in my mouth and let it melt. And then I'll just, and I'll be enjoying it like a kid having their first bite of something in the beginning, you know, and it's, I try to really savor it. And then when it's done, I'm like, that was amazing. And then I move on. No guilt, no shame, you know, and I'm such a huge believer that our mindset has a huge impact too. And like how we talk to ourselves about what we're doing, whether it's our eating or our movement or our relationships or anything else, like our mindset and our inner dialogue while we're doing the thing and before and after not only changes the experience, like it's much more fun if I can really enjoy my treat than if I shame myself during the whole process, but also it changes because our brain is releasing different chemicals when we're in a parasympathetic state versus a sympathetic state. And like, if I'm ingesting a bunch of processed food while releasing a bunch of cortisol and adrenaline and stress hormones, my body's going to digest that differently. Yeah, it is really, it is tough being a woman or man. Like I have seen a lot of men struggle with body dysmorphia and, and not to necessarily diagnose anybody, but like with just disordered eating patterns in general that are totally coming from a good place of like, I want to be healthy and I want to feel good in my body. So I'm going to do all these crazy not crazy, but do all these things that are really hard and not sustainable because I want this thing and I want to be healthy. And I really truly believe that most people are coming from a good place when it comes to some of this messaging. But, you know, I see the worst of it, I think, being in this field. And I just encourage everybody to, your body knows what it wants. Your body knows what it needs. And with the busyness of life and the just high level of distractibility that we navigate all day. Listen to your body. Like it knows when it's hungry. It knows when it's tired. It knows when it's sad. Like, but our ability to tune into that and self attune and give it what it needs and self nurture, that ability is just so diminished in our current society because we have all these things to make us happy. Like, Oh, I'm sad. Let me check Instagram and see how many likes I got. Oh, I'm tired. Let me go get a coffee right down the street. Like everything's so easy. Everything's so fixable. But what really needs to happen is for that experience with the donut is so beautiful. Like if we could just honor our food the way that we used to, or just honor our movement the way that we used to, um, and treat sleep like it's this most sacred practice. You know, if you're not a meditator, cause I, people have told me to meditate millions of times in my life. And most times I've rolled my eyes until very recently. So I just love that that little experience of the donut. I think that was so sweet. One other thing I was going to say, a second bookmark was everything you were saying about this 2023 being the year of like unapologetic authenticity, which in my book is not corny because that's what all my, all my shit is corny. Let's just be honest. But to me, it's not corny. Y'all can think what you want. But as you're stepping into, um, I'll borrow one of your phrases that is now one of my favorite phrases, like main character energy, where you just like, owning that this, your life is your movie. You are the main character. You get to decide who you are. Like, what is that? So much of the work I do with my clients is around identity. And it's, you know, because most of us, at least most of my clients, and I can relate to it too, is like who we are before we kind of start paying attention is like basically just our pattern thinking. It's our conditioning. It's our trauma. It's our everything that was like put onto us. And we just sort of, it's like, we just put on all these layers without even realizing it. And so then when we start doing this work and we're like, who am I? We're like, oh. I have no idea. Shit. You know, like I get all these clients who are successful San Francisco professionals, executives, whatever. And they have these amazing lives on paper, but they're not happy. And they're like, why am I not happy? I did all the things. I have all the stuff. And then we start digging a little bit and they have no idea who they are and they have no idea what they actually want. 
which is why a lot of the work I do is like really basic and it's around figuring out who they are and what they want. But when we start digging and looking out at all the identity stuff and finding like, what is actually, who am I at my authentic core? And also like, who am I evolving into? Because I think we're, you know, it's a moving target. We're always evolving. So as you've been stepping into this more authentic version of yourself, I was going to say also it's 2023, just even the last couple of years, you've stepped into a more authentic version of yourself also wise. Yeah. If you want to share a little coming out story for us. Yes. So much has happened in the last like two and a half years of my life. I always knew I liked women and was queer in some way, but didn't know what it meant. Like, I didn't know if when I saw a girl that I liked being around, I didn't know if I wanted to be her or be on her. It was like such this like odd thing. And then I struggled with making friends because I was like, do I want to be your friend or do I want to be more than friends with you? And this like super confusing piece of me was like always so like odd. And then I met this woman named Steph at a fitness camp, of course, where people meet people, I guess, who are fitness freak friends. And I met her and I was like, I love you. It's you. It's you. It's you. I love you so much. And um, so we started hanging out. I went to Australia, filmed a reality show. Not going to get into that. It wasn't as great as it was cracked up to be. And then when I came back, I was like, we're doing this. Like, I want to be with you. And I came out on Instagram, lost like 7,000 followers. Like people, like all the dudes who maybe were wanting to fuck me. And then the people who weren't into that lifestyle, they call it left. And I was like, damn, like, you know, I was so caught up in my identity of like people liking me and being this like girl who was doing all the cool things and, all that and then I had this like other piece of me that I like finally released and I was like so proud of and then I was like oh wait people don't like that how dare you not mind-boggling to me that this is still a thing in 2023 but it's it obviously it is right and and in a lot of ways we're like somewhat privileged living here because we can even it's like not illegal right but like the fact that you lost uh, how many followers and so just on the on the vanity metrics, the followers thing, like yeah. doesn't matter at the end of the day, but you had how many followers and how like what percentage is seven thousand of that? It was like twenty three thousand followers and then I lost like six or seven thousand followers. So like a third ish. A lot. And I was like so pissed. I was like, I worked so hard to make you guys like me and then you guys left. How dare you? So that's, you know, being in social media and prioritizing it is like a really hard space to be in. And so that was pretty tough, but obviously that was so small relative to like this incredible part of my life that I was easing into and stepping into. And we had our relationship. We recently broke up in November and from November until now, and it's almost March, which is crazy. I have stepped into my main character energy and all of my like kickball friends, which by the way, I really think kickball saved my life. Like it was the thing that came in, showed me I could make friends. It taught me how to make friends. If you are an adult who's struggling to make friends, do something active, like especially sports, like pickleballs, picking everybody loves pickleball now, like do it because that's how you literally make friends as an adult. That's it. And that's probably one of the most common, especially with women I work with who are single, who like, obviously they're dealing with the dating world in general, which is hard with apps and pandemic and all that kind of stuff too, just in general. But like so many of the, my female clients for the past couple of years that have been like, I feel lonely. I feel isolated. I don't feel like I have a close group of friends. Most of mine have, you know, gotten married, had kids moved out of the city or something if they live in San Francisco. And they're like, but I don't know how to meet people. Yeah. I had a client in tears on Zoom just a couple of days ago saying like, I just feel so lonely and I'm an introvert. So I don't want to go to a bar, but I can't meet people at home and I don't want to meet people online, especially friends. Like I'm not going to go on Bumble Friends, which no shame because that has worked for some people. And I said, go on a hike. So she went on, you know, a queer friendly like hike thing, met a bunch of people. Wasn't, they weren't her people, but that doesn't matter. It's like, you've got yourself out there. So I, you know, came out. My parents were totally cool with it. My sister had come out like a year before me. And so like, she kind of paved the way, which I thought was cool. Cause she's the younger sister, like thanks sis. And then <laughs> my parents were totally cool with it. Like she's from the Midwest. So like there was some more cultural differences there for her, but like, we didn't care. We were like, we just like love each other. And like, that's all that matters. And then now I'm single and I'm just kind of like, 
my number one goal is to figure out who I am again. You know, it's like, what's this new chapter of me? Who am I now? Um, I obviously still in love with her. And it's just a moment where everything I do has such a bigger purpose than it did when I was in a, in relationship. Like, how I feed myself, how I shower, all of those decisions are mine again. And it's so cool. It's like, oh, I chose to wash my hair or not wash my hair, or I chose to sleep all day in bed or not. It's like, those are my decisions again. I think that's one of the first steps of learning who you are again, right? It's like tracking and noticing and studying your decision-making and your patterning. And it's cool. Like I'm, I've gone out more in the last four months than I have in the last like 14 years. So she is a rebel with cause, but it feels authentic and it feels right. And I can check myself when it doesn't. And for those of us who are on that path, which I hope most of us are for like till the end of time, but especially those of us who are coming from a people pleasing past or another one of those similar unhelpful tendencies. The, I think one thing I notice personally, and I see clients all the time too, is like, as we're releasing all of these layers of just like the time and the energy we would spend on you know, who do I need to be to be accepted in this group? Or like, what is this, you know, somebody asks you your preference on something and you spend all this time calculating, well, what do they want? So I can say the thing that they want so that they're happy. We're like trying to like manage everyone else's emotions. And I mean, one of my favorite things about people pleasing is once you realize that you think it's coming, I mean, it can be very much coming from a good place and well-intentioned and we really do care. We want other people to be happy and all of that. But anyway, my point is, as we shed more and more of these layers of people pleasing and start coming home to ourselves and figuring out who that is and like what it feels like to be authentic, we get so much time back. Yeah. Like actual time, time, we get mental bandwidth back. We get emotional, like all the time I used to spend managing other people's emotions who didn't at all ask to have me manage their emotions. I'm like, oh, I get to spend that on myself now. And it's like, not only is it feels like so much freedom, like we get liberated from something we've brought on ourselves, and we have this new source of energy. Cause like as we start to plug into the little things that make us, us. Like I was talking to a client today who was like, has made all these little incremental upgrades around her apartment. You know, and she was like, I thought none of this stuff was a big deal, but it's a huge deal. Like I walk into my apartment and I feel like my home is giving me a hug. Mm-hmm. And it's like a source of energy the more we lean into just who we are and what makes us us and all of our little weird quirks and stuff. And like you coming back to like kickball or like playing these sports that are just like such a source of joy. Yeah. That's actually funny. I, the, when Steph and I broke up and she moved out, I hired an interior designer so that my place felt like mine again. And I hired this interior designer. She, I like loved her work. But then I realized after a couple of sessions with her that her style was not the style that I was going for. And she wasn't well-versed in the type of style that I wanted. And that was my first hard conversation about people-pleasing, setting boundaries, and saying no. And I had to tell this woman who dedicated her life to designing homes that I didn't resonate with her style. And I was mortified and she handled it like a champ. She's like, yeah, that happens. I was like, oh my God, this is the most terrifying moment of my life. And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. Sometimes it happens. And that was it. I had already created like a preamble and chapters and volumes of my apology and why I thought that it was shitty of me to not want her to pay her for something. (laughs) You were going to pay for her therapy that she was going to need because she was going to be so devastated that one person didn't happen to like her. You know, we, we work so hard to, and then we realize like, it's actually, it makes things so much easier for someone else when you just give them your honest opinion and we can deliver it, you know, with kindness and respect and compassion. Like we're so, especially as people pleasers, we're so afraid that setting boundaries means being a dick. Like you're going to, they're going to hate you. I'm going to upset them. Like I always assume everyone else is as sensitive as I am. I've had to realize most people aren't or a lot of people are and they can still handle it, you know? And I'm like, actually setting boundaries and telling people, like teaching the world how to treat you is like the biggest gift you can give the people that care about you. They're like, ah, now I know what you like. Great, I'll do that. I know exactly where you're at now and I don't have to guess what a gift that is for a people pleaser and not. Like, oh, and especially in romantic partnerships where we expect the other person to be a mind reader yeah. and then we're somehow resentful that they can't figure out. They're supposed to just know what we want and like, especially sexually, intimately, whatever. We're like, how do you not know that this is the, and it's like, how are they supposed to know? Like none of us are, my, we might guess and get right some of the time, but like yeah. telling people what you want and sharing your opinions and like, it just makes everything easier. 
Yes. So that's the main character, bad girl, bravery, energy we're bringing into 2023. If you could whisper some words of wisdom into the ears of somebody who is on a journey that's similar to the one that you've been on, but like your younger self or somebody who's not quite as far on this journey, what would you want them to know? I would want them to make a playlist on Spotify that is a letter to them. Music has been so healing for me in the last, I mean, my entire life music has been a big piece, but definitely in the last couple of months. And I had this moment and of course it was after therapy and it wasn't a suggestion by her, but I just like made this playlist and it was called letter to me. And it had that little like heart hands emoji. <laughs> and I put like my first couple songs, like one was home by Philip Phillips. One was like, I don't know, some Mumford and Sons songs. And every time I listen to it, they're just reminders of like, yeah, like it's just you and you and me, AKA me and me. And I need that reminder more than anything in the world. And I always have music on. So when I open up my Spotify, it's pinned and I put that on. And I just remind myself that it's me and me. And that is the most important thing of my life right now. And eat your protein, sleep, and lift heavy things. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The deep one and then the really practical shit. Yeah. It really is though. It's like our relationship with ourselves is, in my mind, the most important one because everything else comes from that one. We have a solid foundation or a healthy foundation. We just show up so much better for everyone and everything else in our life. So thank you. Thank you, Brie, for being such an amazing role model and for being willing to share all the things and let us learn with you and through you. Um, obviously we want everyone to go check out all your things. So where are the best places to stalk you on the internet? You can stalk me on Instagram and make up for those 7,000 people who lost me because they yeah. like I'm gay. No, it's Brianna Lamb, B-R-I-A-N-N-A-L-A-M-B. I post a lot of stuff on stories. I'm not always so up to date on my little posts. Your stories are my favorite. I'm like, I get to, I feel like I'm in your pocket all day. just watching your life happen. Yeah, they're so good. I love them. And then if you want to look on our functional bodybuilding website, it's just functional-bodybuilding.com slash Brianna. That's my coaching bio. I'm not currently taking on any clients, but we have a team of coaches who are. You can kind of stock my bio there. Awesome. Well, everybody go stock free. And my ask for today is to, because we are both very social media happy. If you enjoyed this episode, if you want to share it with a friend, take a screenshot, post it, tag us um, both so that we can share the love and appreciate you and celebrate you. And um, thank you all for being on the journey with us.